Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw and welcome back to Vibe. I know I start out every episode telling you how excited I am about this interview, but I'm going to tell the honest truth. I've never been more excited than I am for this one. It's a really fun one today. Stick around for it if you are a woman in midlife thinking about jumping back into some kind of career. We talk a lot about that. Or if you're already in the workplace and you're curious about how some of the best leaders lead to have a workplace that is positive and fun and productive, you know, high vibration, a place to contribute and collaborate. This is the show for you. How can you tell a workplace is like that? How can you tell it's a place you can contribute and you can feel excited to come to work every day? And the reason I'm excited about this interview is that I'm going to interview my best friend. And we're not necessarily so much talking about her and me as much as about how she and I co-manage a growing company. We are going to talk about the books that have influenced us the most. She and I rarely go a whole day without talking about something that one of us is learning in our shared Audible account. We rarely go a day without talking about a parenting issue. Either one or both of us is having and kicking around ideas from our own experience. She is my number one go-to in life. And not just for her tolerance and patience with me, I feel like more than anybody else in the whole world, I can always trust her to have my back but also to know my heart in anything that I'm doing. But really the thing that I want you to meet Kristen Matthews for is for her incredible wisdom. When I talk to her about something, she doesn't just give me platitudes. She sits there with me and she tries to help me solve it. So welcome to Vibe, Kristen Matthews. Hey, Robin. Thanks for having me. Kristen and I always talk about how we are on parallel tracks and so much of our lives have in an unplanned way sort of paralleled each other. But I was at um, Southern Utah University a few weeks ago at SUU. I had my uh, second child graduating and I have two more children starting there together in the fall. And I spoke at the business school a couple weeks ago and a student raised his hand at the end when it was time for questions. And he asked me, how do you turn around bad attitudes among your employees? How do you keep the corporate culture from being catty with employees talking about other employees or the boss behind their backs, being negative about projects the company's working on, all that kind of stuff. How are you, how do you make sure that people are actually getting things done in this first ever generation where people work from home? Our whole, I don't know how many employees we have, 20 something. How do we keep them from dragging their feet on stuff since, since we're all working at home? We can't see, we can't see inside somebody's home office to see what they're doing. So let's talk about high vibration in the workplace. How does that happen? I feel like we work together really, really well as as a team, even though we have an insane number of projects we're working on at any given time with an insane level of complexity. So Kristen, you're really chief of staff, though, in addition to right now, you are chief marketing officer, only other person with a C-level chief something or other title besides me. Why do we have such a great working environment at Green Smoothie Girl? Or am I making that up and we really don't? No, I think we absolutely do. And it it really comes from the fact that we just 
have awesome people that work for us and with us. Um, you know, I, I think our team members are ferociously loyal to one another. They, you know, their number one is go-to is that they lift and support each other without fail. And I, I we it kind of, you know, accidentally happened, you know, as we were hiring people and working with people. But um, I recently read a book called Extreme Ownership. And it, I, I loved it so much because it really identified a lot of the reasons why our team does work well together. And it, and it reinforced some of the behaviors we were having and gave me more, you know, juice for, for doing more of those same things. Um, but the, the basic um, premise of the book is that everything is your fault, <laughs> meaning you at the end of the day are responsible for everything that happens. And, and that means for me, I'm responsible, which the the way it's couched is really, it, it's empowering. But what it does is it means that, you know, we don't play the blame game at Green Smoothie Girl. When somebody messes something up, um, and we all have, that creates this expectation among the team that, you know, there are no tragedies. When something goes wrong, we don't get mad. What we do is we, we, we get in and we all start bailing water and start rowing. So, I think that's a really important thing that we do. And that book, Extreme Ownership, does a really good job of laying that out. And it was just a really natural fit for how our team runs organically. But it really comes because we we just have great people that I love working with. And they they are just naturally that way. I love that we have great people too. And I also read Extreme Ownership, but the book is actually written by two Navy SEALs. And uh, anybody who's listening to this, we're going to probably, if I know Kristen and me, we're going to probably reference a bunch of our favorite books that helped help us turn corners, that help us up our game. We are two single moms who uh, don't have any business degrees and zero people on our team have a business degree. The hilarious thing is I now have a child with a business management degree, but I had an experience early in my career that I have, I think, shared with Kristen before that I was new at WordPerfect. It was my second postgraduate um, corporate job, and I was a project manager and an editor at WordPerfect. If you remember that company, it was before, you know, the Word, Word and Microsoft dynasty ran them out of town. But I worked with like 100 designers, editors, writers, lots of us with liberal arts backgrounds, some of us really shiny right out of school. And I got hired from the outside. And I was brand new. And the project that I was assigned had the biggest print run in the history of WordPerfect. And we printed 1.1 million manuals. And when they came out, I was one of the first ones to hear that we had a typo on the cover. So we had an actual typo, a misspelled word on the cover of 1.1 million printed manuals. And I had, I heard the news and my head just started spinning. And my boss was the one who walked into my cubicle and said, this happened. And, and I said, I am sorry. I will, I will find out what happened. I will do anything that I can. Please forgive me. I will go to, I'm going, going into motion. Well, later it, what happened actually came through and all the information trickled down. And it turns out there's nothing I could have done. I never saw it. Uh, it happened outside of my purview. And I'll tell you, my boss never said to me, hey, you took responsibility for that. And you said, this is my fault and I'll fix it. Um, but I, I could feel that he knew that that is the kind of person that I am. And instead of being defensive and pointing fingers and blaming other people, I said, I am so sorry. Let me fix it. So 
that was a learning experience because I was then in the year after that, and I was brand new. I mean, that was what was so terrifying about it is I had just been hired within probably 10 days. I was the fastest promoted editor in the history of WordPerfect at the time that I left there to, to go to grad school. And um, I learned something important, and that is that uh, that is highly valued in, in the workplace as being a person who takes accountability. So I love that you mentioned extreme ownership and... I love that you make mistakes, Kristen, because it means you're trying. Yeah, it's such a great principle because not only does it, um, what I love about the the culture it creates is it really builds trust between um, members because you know that you can go to your superior and say, I messed up. And then we'll work together to remedy as best we can. Because if, if you have staff that's hiding information or can't come to you, that, that can be far more damaging um, and so I, I like the, the, the type of culture that it creates. Kristen is a fantastic technician who is also an outstanding manager. So she really sits in two places. And did you struggle to be such a good technician? But then I said, hey, I need you up here. I need you to, I need your people skills because you're amazing at, at just managing people. You're super compassionate, super patient. I'm not a super patient person. What was that like for you crossing that bridge? And what's it like for you to manage both technicians and managers? It it's, was and still is really tough for me. It does not come naturally for me. I, I am super comfortable in the weeds of a project, in the details, um, developing them and executing them. And if it's, if it's a tech piece, all the better. That, that's where I'm really happy, where I can get into my flow. And as Robin was, you know, she really, I, I am absolutely a reluctant manager. And we've talked about this before. And Robin has done a good job of, of you know, pushing me where um, she needed to and challenging me and encouraging me and mentoring me in these things because um, I've really needed it. As I've moved up from being a technician to being a manager, one of the hardest things is to give up those details because you you like I built that thing. I don't want anybody else building it or messing with it. And I know I know that I did it right. And it's really hard for me to give up those details. Uh, so I've had to work very hard and make myself do it. Um, but in that process, I've learned that it's not a terrible thing. And there are other people who are competent can do it. And the thing I love about how I've worked at Green Smoothie Girl is, you know, when Robin hired me, I, I was literally hauling boxes for her. Like we would go to events. I would load up the car. We would go, you know, we just had to be scrappy and we literally just made it all up as we went. Yeah, we, we um, should stop and say that you were hired part time as a $17 an hour executive assistant. You were my first like real employee besides somebody working in Dubai or something. Right. And, and now you're a six figure executive and you were stepping in from, from a career as a homemaker. So you're, you started out hauling boxes. Sorry, back yep. to you. Yeah, I literally did. And, um, and once we got more and more staff and Robin was like, well, I need you to just start, you know, running the team. And, and it was good for Robin because she needed to step into some of those bigger idea roles, even deeper into those, um, but it was very hard for me to, I'm not, I'm also not naturally comfortable being in charge. So I'm, I'm always the, the follower usually. And so for me to get comfortable with being in charge, making decisions was very much a, a developmental process for me. The really cool thing is there was so much crossover. Like one of the things Robin said, as we were preparing for this is, you know, there is, there's, you don't, 
there's no difference between the developmental tasks we we do in our work life and our personal life. And so the things that I've learned that have been critical for me to develop as a manager, um, learning to take initiative, to make decisions, uh, execute on things, um, have all translated really nicely into my personal life, into things that I've needed to do. Because when I started working from Robin, I was also going through a divorce. And that process of, you know, in my marriage, I was very much the back seat. So having to step into the role of taking charge of my own personal life, they kind of happened in parallel tracks. And so those lessons have translated so um, nicely for me into my personal life. And so I, I kind of see myself differently because of, of that process. It's given me a lot of confidence and, and purpose. And it's made me less afraid of just life in general, of trying new things and having to be challenged in ways that I'm uncomfortable with. This job has gotten me really comfortable with being uncomfortable. And, and that's good for me because it's something I've kind of run from my whole life. So it's been, it's been a challenge in a lot of ways, but, but great. I've, I've loved the challenge of it for sure. Yeah. So a little more backstory. Uh, Kristen's first C-level job was she was chief operating officer. And then she grew into, she's pretty much chief of staff. I'm not great with meetings. I don't hold them regularly. And now she does because she's far more methodical and linear and moves a project forward step at a time. Whereas I'm flying in the clouds and managing high level relationships with lots of people and hiring and thinking what our move is six months from now and a year from now. But so she was COO after a few years of working her way up in this tiny little company. But she's also been my best friend for about, I don't know exactly, I think somewhere around 17 years. And we were charter school moms. And Kristen was a homeschooling mom. She had six children pretty quickly. And when I met her, our kindergarten and second grade daughters were best friends for a while. And I actually remember it a lot better than she does because she's actually living in a blur. Um, I remember meeting her at her front door when I not dropped my girls off because, you know, you want to meet whoever is at the door when you're dropping your girls off. And uh, I went to the door and I remember looking over her shoulder and seeing these these twin toddlers in their high chairs. And I think they were like throwing food at the wall and stuff. And she just looked like she got hit by a truck. (laughs) She looked so tired and wasn't super interested to chit chat with me because she just had this chaos going on behind her. And she, she wasn't done. She was yet to have another, another little one. But Kristen, we live in a super conservative community and we were both taught since we were very young that we would be wives and mothers. And we both stepped into that role and we manhandled that role and we were quality wives and mothers. And you're a charter school founder and some or all of our kids went to the two charter schools where we met at. And then you're a founder at Mazer Prep where all your children went, I believe, and one of mine graduated there. But I I wonder in your experience and now you have, you know, been a little bit pulled into being a leader. Do women have a hard time with leadership? I know that it was very hard for me in the early days when I was in my 20s and I had men who answered to me and I had a hard time telling them what to do. <laughs> what's what's this life been like for you uh, as a woman in a very conservative community? Well, I, 
because I have a more passive personality and I, I don't love being in a leadership position, um, it was actually a good fit for me because, um, you know, I was not the one challenging a lot of the male leadership and, you know, in our community. Uh, and, and that was a good fit for the culture where I grew up in. And so it's, it's kind of unfortunate that, you know, my nature was that way. And then my, my extended family, family and church relationships and other relationships just reinforced that over and over again. Um, so I was the good girl who, you know, followed the rules and, and did all the stuff right and was praised very much for that. But it did not prepare me very well for being a single um, mom, uh, especially with a frankly very difficult ex-husband who I've had to learn how to um, have boundaries and stuff with. That was a hard um process for me. But uh, one of the the paths that, that took me um, to kind of deeper into that learning was starting that charter school. So it was kind of accidental for me, I think. Um, after homeschooling my kids, we ran, I started and ran this charter school when I was 33. And that was a five-year volunteer job. It was a full-time volunteer job. And it changed me in, you know, a lot of fundamental ways. It taught me how to work with people, manage people, pay attention to details and the finances of a business because a charter school is run like a business. So, you know, while not all moms can start a charter school, I think there are a lot of ways you can prepare if you, you know, are a mom and would like to at some point get into the the workforce. And, you know, the truth is the stats tell us only 10% of married women have the luxury of staying home and not working at all. And I was very lucky. I was in that 10%, but I don't anticipate that any of my children will have that opportunity. And I'm trying to raise them in such a way that they're preparing for that because I was not prepared for that. But, um, you know, being able to volunteer and in places where you can have leadership opportunities is great. So, you know, networking in your community to make a name for yourself as someone who's dependable and hardworking, you know, be one of the 20 percenters that does 80% of the work. It's kind of crappy, but what it does is it prepares you for that. That's the, that's real life. And, um, and you will meet and network with other quality people that can set you up for success. Cause you'll know people who know what it's, what to look for in a quality employee and, and you you'll have opportunities to be around there, around people like that. Um, you know, my opportunity with with Green Smoothie Girl was so much luck as well, though, because um, another book that I've read recently that I love is is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, and um, you know he talks about the the people who've had wild success, um, like Steve Jobs. Yes, they're smart and talented and and good at what they're good at, but they also were lucky in time and space to have certain opportunities. And it's actually a fascinating read that really changed my perspective on that. Cause you, you say, well, you just have to work hard and, and things will go well for you. And that's not always true, but you know, I just happened to be best friends with an internet rock star in the embryonic years of your career. And you just happened to need someone right as I was needing a job. And, you know, that from there, it's just history. So there's, there's a lot of luck involved there and you can't deny that. But for sure, I had lots of cool opportunities that I manufactured just because I think I was kind of a high octane person anyway. I liked challenges. I liked stimulating things and I loved being a mom, but it it also was was hard for me to feel totally satisfied with just living in the four walls of my house all the time. 
Yeah, you were probably pretty fulfilled as a stay home homemaker. Um, I was, you know, right here in the exact same community and I wasn't such a good fit. I was I was born a pusher, a driver, big ideas, a natural born leader, oldest of eight children. And I suffered a lot of pain in the really conservative environment that we were both in, whereas you were just like took to it like a duck to water. I hyphenated my name when I got married at the age of 20. I mean, what what 20 year old in, you know, Utah County does that? And I my my in-laws didn't like it. My my community didn't like it. My own dang parents didn't like it. And, you know, they're just like, what are you trying to prove? And, you know, are you not really ready to be married? And I was just like, I don't know. Like I I was this name for 20 years. Why can't I keep it? And I'm just a rule breaker. Right. You have a unique ability to make yourself a lightning rod. (laughs) I am like, I could never do what you do because that's just the opposite of me. In fact, I think the first time I ever heard of who you were or your name was because you, well, we had a friend that was kind of (laughs) ended up creating this, but you ended up being in this big controversy at the, because you're a PTO president. Remember that whole thing? Yeah, yeah. And, And that's, I think, when I first heard about you, you know, you're standing out in the parking lot, like handing out flyers or something. And, um, and then there was just this big brouhaha over something. Cause, cause you're willing to put yourself out there to fight for things you believe in and, and people don't always like it. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you, how you, your stomach acid handles it. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it, it's so interesting how opposite we are in that whole thing of opposites attract. I think I recognize things in you that are uh, stabilizing, that are helpful to me. And I think you've expressed to me many times over the years that you needed somebody in your life who was a bit of a firebrand uh, for the transitions you had to go through. I mean, we we both got divorced. We did not influence each other in our divorces. If anything, I, even though I don't think highly of the guy you were married to, I said, if you can stay married, do it, right? I said that for years, but uh, just because there's a lot of suffering involved in a divorce. But I went through my divorce and a year or two later, you went through yours. And I wonder what you would, if you if you were queen of the world, what you would tell other women, because 2018 is a completely different time to go into an adult into adulthood. And you've got all these daughters. I've got two daughters. What would you, in a perfect world, when you're queen of the world, what would you tell women who are wanting to get back into the workforce like you did, because I don't think it was luck. I wouldn't have hired you, no matter how much I liked you. I had lots of friends. I, I hired you because I saw the the unique abilities in you. What would what would you tell women and, and women raising daughters too? What what words of wisdom? Well, the things that I tell my daughters, and I do tell them about when I started working for you, that I was willing, I I, I at that point in my life was willing to do pretty much anything. Like like home boxes. Always, hauling boxes. Um, you know, I, I did, did whatever I was asked and I tried to do deer? it fast and well. Um, did. it ended up, you know, the first five years I worked for you, I kind of worked myself to death. I really burned out cause I was working seven days a week, weekends, nights, we were traveling like 12 days a month and it, it kind of, kind of wrecked me, not wrecked me, but it just, it, it burned me out. Um, but I feel like I'm, I'm really glad for that experience. And I'm really actually glad that I have that kind of work ethic that I, cause I think that is what it takes to separate yourself from the rest is you have to show up and show up hard and, and do your very best. And if you don't know how to do it, figure, you know, get scrappy and figure out how to do it. 
don't think that anything is something you can't do because you can, you can figure out a way. And then I, I also tell my daughters, you know, <laughs> don't have children until you have a career. They aren't necessarily listening to me. <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't, and this one might be a little more controversial, but, you know, I, I tell my kids, I love all of you, but don't have more than two kids. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, they grow up and it gets hard and expensive and they have real adult problems and it it it's challenging. And especially as a single mom and also to prepare, you should always be preparing that you might be a single mom one day because there are a million reasons why something could happen to your spouse, um, dis, you know, disability, divorce, death, all kinds of things. There's, there's no way to predict that this, you're going to get this nice shiny stay at home mom life. And so prepare, prepare every way you can. Yeah. I have to say, I completely agree. And I tell my daughters that and every time I speak uh, to young women, I say it is like you said before that statistic, it's approximately one in 10 women who actually can stay home for their entire adult lives and be a homemaker. And that's here in, in the U.S. where we have more affluence. Um, and, and I think that's a statistic that we should take very seriously as mothers of daughters, that if we tell them that their only value is derived from being a mother, even if they're that one in 10, then they hit 50 and, and aren't sure what their value is. Are you seeing that as a syndrome? Do you see that around us some? I, I think so. I mean, I, I'm trying to think I, I'm not very in plugged into that world, actually, to be honest with you. I, I feel like my world is my job and a lot of other, you know, a lot of our team is women who work from home and, um, and they, I think they do have a lot of purpose. They, they're super busy. They, they're, they're, they have kids and they're awesome moms. You know, all of our team members, they're moms, they're rock star moms and they're smart and talented. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure that that is, I remember, I remember for sure feeling that, you know, in my late twenties and early thirties when I was having babies and, and I wanted, I remember thinking things like, I, I wish I could be somewhere where I get to do something that makes me feel smart or that reminds me that I'm smart or, you know, that's more stimulating. I really did have thoughts like that. And I felt a little bit, you know, perplexed by how I could accomplish that when I was, you know, I had five kids in six years. So my number four and five are twins. So when I had my twins, I had a, a my kids were two, four and six. That was insane. So it was all I did. Um, and I, I love my kids. I'm glad I have my kids and that's not a complaint, but I think it's okay to hold those truths in the same space that I love my kids. And it was, it was challenging in a way that, that, yeah, it left me feeling like I wish I could do more. Yeah. And we have Kristen's sister, Nikki, who works for us and she has six children as well. She works for us full-time. She's our editorial director. It's a, it's a good example. Your sister, Nikki, who's actually your older sister. And so you're your older sister's boss. How's that? It's well, it's awesome. Cause she's awesome. Um, and you know, karma. <laughs> Did she boss you around when you were a kid? Oh, geez. Yeah. She was, she was a mother hen. We, we were kind of forced into that. Cause we didn't actually have parents that parented us. So she ended up get, kind of getting thrust into that role. Um, but, and, and 
you know, I joke about that, but she was not a bad bossy sister. She was just kind of a, a normal, she was more like just annoyed with me. Yeah. You two did not have an idyllic upper middle class intact family experience. And I don't know what you want to say about that, but you and Nikki are possibly the two most quality people I've ever known. And what do you want to say about how you grew up? Oh yeah. We, um, our mother died when we were very young. We kind of got bounced around between extended family and foster homes. Um, our dad was, um, was out when it was an alcoholic. Um, actually that brings up another book. (laughs) Sorry. I'm on, on, um, on a thing with books, but I'm actually reading it right now. It's, it's called um, boys on the boat. I don't know if you've heard of that one, Robin, but it's been a great read and it, and it really, um, it's along those same lines. I've loved listening to the book because it's about this kid who just had this crappy life growing up and, and how, how hard it was for him, you know, to his parents literally just abandoned him. And he had to, at at 10 years old, he got dropped off at a church and had to like find his own food and, and just survive. And, uh, and the book tells his backstory and then how he becomes one of the members of the, the um, boating team that ended up winning the uh, 1938 Olympics in Germany. And, um, and just what a like heroic and cool experience this team had in coming together and working as a harmonious team and how important that is in that sport. But all of the members of that team had in common that they had a very hard um, growing up years. And what it created in them was this humility that enabled them to have, to be able to put the team above self and, and really dig in. And, and that was the key to their success was that they knew that the other people on the, on the team in the boat were going to do precisely the right thing at precisely the right time. And it came because they just, there was, there was no ego. And, um, but the idea that all of these hardships he had, made it possible for him to do something great is just a fantastic and meaningful life lesson that um, I think is really true. And, you know, sparing our kids hardship is not always the best thing for them. Uh, Yeah. I feel like you're really good at that and you innately understand putting the group ahead of yourself, but then you've referenced that you were working seven days a week. You're burning out. You're also going through your divorce during that time. That was, yes, tough times. We were traveling a lot. I was on lecture tour and the first couple of years of that, you were the one traveling with me. And then finally we, we had other people doing that. But, um, I feel like one of the things that you've learned also is boundaries in a lot of ways, boundaries to your work. And I'm sorry for anything that I had to do with the fact that we were both working 70 hour weeks through a lot of that. And it's crazy because we were, we were newly single mothers and our kids at pretty tender ages. And we had to provide, we had to, uh, you know, I, I never got any alimony. You never got any alimony. Sometimes we got some, some, you know, child support. I never got a lot. Um, I had to keep going back to mediations and even court to, to get it, to get my child support. Um, you're really good at putting the group ahead of yourself. Have you had to learn to put yourself, uh, make yourself important too? <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, and I don't regret, you know, those years. I, I think in a way it was sort of how I coped with the the hard stuff in the divorce is that I just threw myself into my job, um, which, you know, 
may or may not be a good coping mechanism. I'm, I'm glad it was work and not something else, but, um, cause you know, doing it with the job progressed me in a, in a good career. Uh, but yes, of course I have had to, and, you know, nothing in my background, my, my family, my family growing up, all of the women in my family are pretty passive backseaters. And, you know, the value was to put everybody else's needs before your own. That was what I was explicitly taught. And with every female role model um, growing up, with the exception of my grandma, who mothered me for several years when I was a child. Um, But she was, I mean, she was just a, a fantastic, maternal, ferocious, awesome lady. But, um, you know, she, she to still she raised me for several years after my mom died. So she was still had a good, good balance of that. But, you know, having all of my grow up years never really had a good example of a woman who was strong and looked out for herself. I think really it worked against me and it made it very hard for me to internalize that it's okay to look out for myself because to me that was actually bad. It was bad. It was selfish. And, um, so I've had to learn that it's okay. And, and I unfortunately had to get pushed up against a wall really to get there, you know, at times when my health, um, has gone downhill or, you know, I'm just so overloaded and overwhelmed that I cannot function. That that happened to me during those years when I was going through a divorce because it was such a, you know, I was like you, I was in and out of court multiple times. It was very stressful. Um, but being backed into a corner where you're like, you know what, you, you better start taking care of yourself or you're not going to be able to take care of your family. Um, it kind of took that extreme for me to start recognizing it. And I still am not good at it but um, I'm working on it. Yeah. I think we give, we give a lot to our children and we uh, feel like the more we give, the better a mother we are. But I want to offer a counterpoint perspective to that. That just brings me to my knees every time I think about it. Cause it's actually fairly recent, but Kristen said she's had to learn that it's okay to put herself first sometimes and to push away from the laptop or say no, or, um, you know, li- put limits uh, on, people who need your energy, uh, say no to things. I felt guilty the whole time I was a working mom prior to my divorce and even more afterwards where I felt like they needed more from me. And then we were on the road because building our audience had everything to do with being out there. We didn't know how to do it otherwise. Like everybody else was, you know, giving away a free ebook and (laughs) marketing. Chris and I don't know anything about marketing. I don't think we knew anything about marketing till like the last two years. And we decided to like learn a little bit about marketing. We were just out there and I was just teaching and sharing. And Kristen was hauling boxes and the rental car and helping me put products together. But, you know, my older daughter and Kristen knows this story that uh, recently she has said to me in both writing and to my face, mom, the thing that was most powerful to me about growing up and here I think it's going to be like gardening or that you had me drink a green smoothie every day or whatever. She said, I watched you build your business and I watched you be scrappy and I watched you create jobs and I watched you do something meaningful and make a living doing something that you're passionate about and that helps others. And mom, I think you're a badass and thank you for your example. And I talk about it in my work all the time. And my boss is always saying, Emma's mom taught her blah, blah, blah. So I don't want to go on and on about that, even though I, I could not be more blown away by that. But I think not only is it okay, 
if sometimes we put our some of our own personal pursuits, not necessarily ahead of everything else, but make it a priority. I had no idea that not only was I not failing my daughters by building a business and being a working mom, but both of my daughters have recently told me about the impact of watching my struggle, my successes, my failures. Um, and I wonder if your daughters have expressed this to you, or if you see in them that your own stepping into your power has been meaningful to them. Yes, absolutely. Um, they, they have said it explicitly a few, a few times. I don't say it all the time, but they have said that, you know, they'll say things like, mom, you're such a hard worker or th- things like that. I don't think they have quite the sense, you know, your, your kids have seen you be kind of this powerhouse um, and very influential. And I, I, I know that they are just, they bust with pride when they get to hear you speak and stuff like that. And it's because you have this really cool um, energy about you and people want to, you're a great speaker. People want to hear from you. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely see that a lot. And yeah, my kids are, are complimentary about it and, and really positive about it for sure. Especially watching me go through my divorce. My kids are grateful that, that I, that I did that for our family, even though it was very hard, but they acknowledged that it was the right thing to do, even as hard as it was for them for, for many years. Uh, but yeah, they do, they express all the time, their gratitude for that process and watching me go through it. And they're very complimentary about it. What have you done to help uh, mentor our employees as they rise up? We've seen people who were doing you know, peace rate at home become managers and directors. We've taken technicians and saying, we really need you more in management role. You're, you're working with a couple of our employees to cross bridges and you, you cross them yourself just a few years ago, as we've talked about, but what, what's that like for you watching? I would imagine it's probably pretty gratifying for such a people person like you watching people step into their own power what two steps behind you figuring it out how to do it yourself. Um, tell a story of somebody you've worked with on our team, name them or don't name them. But what, what do do we do to have a, a, a culture of like you described in the very beginning of this interview of everybody being super supportive of each other. And I want to tell you side note, thank you for the fact that you don't criticize me to our team. I was What's the book we're reading right now? Oh, Rocket Fuel, between the, the tension between the visionary and the implementer. You being the implementer, integrator, takes my ideas, puts stakes in the ground, project manage, manage the team. And me as the visionary, it says that tiny little differences between us will be seen as chasms, huge differences by those around us. And I just, I was like, I don't, she just doesn't do that. She just has my back. So I want to thank you for that. And I want to know how, what qualities of your own have you brought to make our team so amazing and they feel useful, they feel valued, they feel heard, they feel like contributors. How did you do that? I, I think it's really something that's always been very important to me. So probably just because, you know, I'm 46 years old now and I've had some time with other human beings on the planet and I, I work really hard at relationships. And so um, that I think is you know, I have a lot of weaknesses as a leader. Um, and I could, we could go over those too. <laughs> uh, but one thing I just, I care so much about the, the relationships I have with the team and, um, 
and building them up and making sure that it's a, a safe place and that they trust me. I think they they know well what my weaknesses are. And and sometimes, you know, one one thing that I don't I don't know if it's good or bad is that, you know, none of them are afraid of me <laughs> at all. And you laugh when I say that because you know it's true. But sometimes I'm like, should they be afraid of me? Do I need to be more scary? I don't know. Um, but I guess what I've seen is it's it's more, for me, it's been the long play. And the long play is building relationship and trust and and knowing they know that I'm, I'm going to jump in the trenches with them. Um, they feel supported that way. And, and, and then we can have honest conversations. And when things are hard and they've had enough, they can come to me and and we figure it out. That is really brilliant. I feel like you've hit on something really important here. And that is that in our work, we offer each other our vulnerability and our authenticity. And we say that we make mistakes. And I say that I make mistakes. And the team has seen me fall down hard. They've seen me go through devastating things and devastating losses. And we've started a second business that we had to fold And we've had things that literally cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars. And most of it, if not all of it was my fault. When you go, when you go big, you are also more likely to fail as well as succeed. And you guys have all had my back and you've just been there to put your arm around me. And so why would I be anything different than compassionate? If you make a mistake, I don't even know what you're talking about this week that somebody came to you and said, I'd made an expensive mistake. And, and I hope that we have a culture where you know that you don't even have to tell me about it. I mean, sometimes it may help to tell me about it, but, um, we don't, we don't have a, a micromanaging culture. We have a culture, I hope of, of supporting each other and empowering each other and knowing that we are all human. And that it's not like you leave that at the door when you walk into your job. Do you believe that when we go through hard things with someone and we have seen someone in their most vulnerable place and we have seen someone's failures and we've seen how they have this gift, but they have this weakness too. Do you believe that when we talk through that with someone and when we we go through that, take them across that bridge, do you believe that these conversations we have strengthen our relationship with that person? Absolutely. I think vulnerability draws people to you whereas being perfect repels people. And, you know, I spent a lot of my life um, trying to pretend to be perfect and it it was pretty isolating. And so um, learning to do the opposite, which I've really, I had to work really hard to learn it because that perfectionism in me was, was strong. And I I felt like I had to be perfect and um, letting go of that was very difficult, but, but man, when I learned it, it was it was so powerful to see how when you open up to the people around you and show them what's inside that it only, only good things come of that. I mean, that's in my experience, only good things come of it. And it's, it's been a really life-shaping, life-changing thing. And I feel lucky that I get to work with people that I actually can do that with. And I do, I, I open up to them and I tell them when I'm having our days and they do the same. And it's, you know, it builds that that culture of trust and that ferocious loyalty that I was talking about. And that is not an understatement, but you know, if anybody's having a hard time, our, our green smoothie girl team is a great place to go with it because they just, they just lift you and carry you along uh, for as long as you need it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. If you want to hear more from Kristen, go on the vibe by Robin Openshaw Facebook page and tell us, what do you want us to talk about? Because she and I could probably talk for four hours about high vibration marriage. Um, I've 
Bobby was married for 20 years and Kristen was married for 18 years, but she's been married again. And it's one of the most phenomenal marriages I've ever seen. Um, and I haven't even run that past her. I don't even know if she's open to talking about high vibration marriage. And you might think, what do two divorced people know about high vibration marriage? But you might be surprised. Um, a disproportionate number of marriage therapists are, are actually divorced. And you kind of learn a lot when you go through the valley of the shadow of death and, and come out the other side. We could talk about uh, what she has to say about high vibration parenting. She's an absolutely outstanding parent. She knows how to be a mother bear and go to the mat and fight for her kids. She also knows how to be calm and patient and long suffering. And that's probably the biggest thing I get from her because I'm sort of a butt kicker as a parent, you know, um, I'll hold the bar high and I'll encourage them, but I'm not always the best at being patient. Um, so we could talk about high, high vibration divorce, not because we necessarily had one, but kind of like what we would tell someone who's going through a divorce. So if we some, see some interest on the Facebook page, Vibe by Robin Openshaw, um, in another conversation with Kristen, please do let us know there. And um, in the meantime, anything that you want to leave us with, Kristen? Um, I think probably because we, um, we talk about this so much and um, the, the book that we're, that we're reading now, Rocket Fuel, highlights the, the relationship between the visionary and the implementer. And it was so cool to like have words for what you and I have been experiencing. And we, we talk a lot about how we're the yin and the yang and, and what a magical combination that's been in our friendship, but also in our work relationship. And um, one of the questions you had asked me was just about, you know, how do we, how do we get greatness from our people? And I think, first of all, you get good people. And I know that's probably oversimplified and very difficult to do. And maybe we just have lucked out and just have amazing people. Um, but, you know, kind of one of the ways that Robin and I play off each other is I think Robin has a high bar and, and that's good. I, I need that. She has that fire and energy and drive that, that propels the company. And, you know, we've, we've joked a lot about how she's like this freight train and everybody on the green smoothie girl team are little people hanging off the, the caboose, just dangling, holding on for dear life. Um, I also like to say that she's a stallion and it's our job to make sure that she gets to run. And so the team um, is, is we are all kind of similar personalities where we are not fast start personalities like Robin. Um, we're a little bit more slower and meticulous um, and technical and deep and types people. And that's, that's a hard, I'm sure that it's frustrating for you at times, Robin, that you're like, Oh my gosh, when are these people going to get this stuff done? Because a lot of it is you don't see the details, but a lot of it is also the methodical way that, that we work. But I think it's cool that um, one way that that's played off each other is that you provide this energy and drive and everyone feels it and everyone loves you and actually wants to make this business and you and all of us successful. And then because I build these relationships with the team that, you know, that energy kind of comes through me to them. And that's kind of how I see it because I'm not a good driver of people like a pusher driver. And I appreciate your energy in that. And again, um, you know, it's that yin and yang thing that like plays out really well. And where I feel so fortunate that I get to have this experience because it's, it's so um, gratifying on so many levels. And I just admire you and think you're a rock star and I feel lucky to be in your orbit. Well, now you've heard it, everyone. I feel really, really so blessed 
um, that I get to let you in on a little conversation with someone I love so much. And I think you can see how even though I've been through a lot of hard things in my life and Kristen has been through more hard things in her life, that she's the reason I'm still standing. And I, if I ever go to the mat and go fight for something for her, I always tell people, here, I need you to do this for Kristen or whatever because she's the best person I know. And I think you got a sense of that. So Kristen, I just want to tell you that I love you. I love you, Robin. Thank you. Thank you.